Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to say welcome again to those of you who are here in the building or maybe joining us online. Uh, My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here. And as always, I say it all the time, and I, I really do mean it. It's an absolute honor for me to be here and to do what I can do. You know, I hope that this never wears off. Because, you know, I've been here for well over a year now, and so I feel like I'm over that guest speaker kind of mode where I'm thinking, do these people like me? I hope they like me. And I'm just kind of excited to be with my church family, to open God's word and to point our hearts to Christ. It's a joy. But have you ever thought about how unique it is that we do this week in and week out? It's kind of a curious environment. There's not very many other places where people gather together over and over and over to sit and to hear somebody speak. The only parallel that I can think of is a stand-up comic. And has anybody noticed airline food? Am I right? Right? No. But add to the fact the curious nature of this, that my task, that the communicator, that the preacher's task is to get up here and to speak from a two to 3,000-year-old book and urge you and encourage you that if you base your life on this book and the Savior to whom it refers and speaks, that you will find life, joy, peace, both in this life and for eternity. In many ways, it's kind of a crazy thing to do this week in and week out. But preaching is commanded to us in Scripture, and it is the way in which God often chooses to work. And today what we're going to see as we look at Mark chapter 1 is that preaching was central to the ministry of Jesus. That it wasn't coincidental, it wasn't a a side pursuit, that it was central to his, his ministry here on earth and that God continues to use it today. But more than that, here's what I want you to see today. In this simple little passage that we're going to look at, Jesus is going to model something for us. A beautifully simple, countercultural way to do ministry. A way to live that I have no doubt will stir something in your heart where you're like, you know what? I want more of that. I want that in my life. This beautiful, simple, countercultural way to live your life and serve God. Now, typically at Brian, we stand as we read scripture, but today I'm going to walk through this passage kind of verse by verse. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you have your journals, I hope you do, if you have your, I guess I'll permit you to use your phone, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Let me give you a little bit of context here. So so Jesus has, has appeared on the scene, and we're told that this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news 
And it's about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Jesus comes and John the Baptist is a forerunner. John the Baptist is like, hey, get ready. The Messiah has finally come and the people are curious and they're interested and Jesus is baptized and God himself, the Father from heaven, thunders that this is his beloved Son. And Jesus goes up, he goes out into the wilderness, he is tempted and he begins to preach. He begins to proclaim the gospel, the good news of of really who he was and what he was going to accomplish. He comes to Capernaum, this city, and he goes to the synagogue and he's preaching there on the Sabbath. He is teaching and the people are amazed because it doesn't take long before they recognize that there has never been someone like Jesus. He teaches with authority. And in his teaching ministry, and this is going to continue on, in his preaching ministry, we see that he is coming up against the forces of darkness, the real forces of evil in our world. That even when he preaches, the demons recognize him. They quiver before him and he casts them out. And then he retreats and he comes to Simon's home, one of his early followers that he has called, a disciple. He comes to Simon's home and he heals his mother-in-law. And then all the people, (coughs) excuse me, all the people gather around from the surrounding area to find healing. Excuse me, one more time. Pay these sound guys enough. They, they're so quick off the draw. Thank you. Steve, could you maybe get me a, a glass of water or a, a cup if you don't mind? So that's kind of the context behind this. And Jesus now is stepping into his public, active, itinerant ministry. And here's what we see. And here's how he starts it all off. Jesus prepares. Look at verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed. And he went out into a desolate place. And there he prayed. I mean, likely here, he is up well before dawn. It's not even light out yet. He gets up before Simon, before Andrew, before those in the household, and he departs. All the people of Capernaum had gathered together. So more than likely, Jesus had been healing late into the night. I mean, Jesus had incredible power, incredible ability. He could have just been like, you know what? This is taking a long time. There's a lot of you. I'm just going to heal the masses. I'm just going to heal all of you. Thank you, brother. You are such a servant. God bless you. Instead, what does Jesus do? What is the pattern that we see throughout the Gospels? Jesus takes time for the individual. Whether it be a physical touch, a conversation, looking into people's eyes, These were not just miracles to display his power and his authority. These were people to be cared for and loved. Jesus is consistently meeting with that individual, validating their full humanity, 
And so he is, pre, he is healing here late into the evening. He's tired. And he gets up early. And he goes out, it says, into a desolate place. A word, the word here that is used for desolate place is the same word that's used in verse 13, where Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the place of his temptation has now become the place of his preparation. He retreats from the crowds, from all of the busyness, and we learn as you read the Gospels that this wasn't a one-off occasion. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, we read this. Jesus, it says, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus' time, his attention, it was all in high demand. People wanted him, and yet he chooses here to step away from it all, to prepare himself for what God has for him. You see, one of the hardest parts of living in our modern world, specifically here in the West, is just how busy we are. And what's the old expression? If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. So let me ask you this. When is the last time that you went away? That you took some time? That you stepped away? That you retreated to spend time with your Father in heaven. I mean, studies show that this idea that we have of busyness is often tied to a sense of self-worth. I mean, have you seen my calendar? Do you know how busy I am? Do you know how important it is that at a stoplight, I check my email? I'm in high demand. And you're smart enough. You know to do it down low so you don't get, you don't get a ticket. And somebody beeps behind you, right? You got a system. But the franticness and the busyness of life, this is not how it was meant to be. I mean, how often, even for my wife and I, do we almost have to have a set meeting to evaluate the calendar, to look and to protect those, um, those free spaces for our family, for one another? How often are we out in the commons speaking to people and the first thing that comes out of our mouth is about how busy we are. That should not be a badge of honor. That you are not a human doing, you are a human being. And who you are matters. So let me ask you this. When is the last time that you pulled away from it all just to rest in him? And maybe your schedule in this season permits as much. Maybe the kids are grown and, and life is slowing down for you. Let me ask you this. Are you redeeming that extra time? The busyness of our modern world has, made it, has been made so much worse by the advent of the smartphone. Now, let's, we set that up. Thank you. Thank you. I'll give you your gift card to the cafe later. <laughs> and I, I thank God for smartphones, right? It's a gift to be able to stay in 
contact with the ones we love, to discreetly research what that rash really is or, or how to change your oil in your car or, or, you know, look up general facts and information and YouTube tutorials. There's a lot of fantastic stuff out there. But there is a danger in the constant connectedness when you can never fully pull away simply to be in that moment. And what we find, the effect of it, and you notice it, is that maybe your family is disjointed. Maybe your marriage, you feel like ships passing in the night. There's no more real sense of communication. There's no real intimacy. There's no real sense of togetherness. You're just sitting in bed at night on your prospective phones, rolling through it. There is this busyness and hecticness that has just inundated us. 47% of Americans, it says, are addicted to their phones. The average person checks their phone every 12 minutes or approximately 80 times in a day. And let's get specific. How often have you checked your phone so far since I started preaching? Don't tell me. I'm too fragile. I don't, I don't think I could take it, but 44% of adults in the U.S. say that not having their phone causes them anxiety. You ever go to the store and leave your phone? Right? You're like, what? something's wrong. What? Where is it? What if I need to look up some random fact? What, what if somebody calls me? You know, nobody calls me. And when I get a phone call and people are like, it says a spam risk, but maybe it's somebody who really wants to talk to me. So I always answer it because I have this built-in obligation, almost slave relationship with it. Two-thirds of children spend four hours or more per day on their smartphone. Teenagers, many spend an average of nine hours a day. If you figure this out, if you find a solution, please let me know. Because it's a constant battle. The kids are there in these precious years that go by so quickly and we're stuck, glued to our phones, scrolling and scrolling and missing and missing and being pulled away constantly, not to mention the toxic temptations that are out there, but just the sheer busyness of it all. So words like rest, Sabbath, peace, Quiet, margin. Are these like a dream to you? Maybe someday when the kids are older, things will slow down, when, when the sports stop. Here, here's, here's something for you. You're allowed to say no. To say no to another obligation, another club, another commitment, another sport, another team, you can say no. The busyness, the hecticness of this life is not conducive to depth. And what we see here in the text is that Jesus himself, with all of the demands, with this limited amount of time here on this earth, in the flesh, he still takes time out consistently to prepare himself 
How's your soul doing? Hmm? Do you even know? Or is it just from one thing to the next? Numbing yourself with that which has no redemptive value. Jesus takes time to prepare for his role in ministry by seeking quiet and time with God. Jesus prepares. And while he prepares, here's what else I want you to notice. He's not just looking for a little break here with some R and R. He takes time away to prepare and he takes time apart to pray. Jesus prepares and Jesus prays. When he goes out into that desolate place, it says, there he prayed. You ever wonder why Jesus had to pray? I mean, think about it. I mean, he's God. God is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If Jesus is fully God in the flesh, then what, what need does he have for prayer? Doesn't he just always do what's perfect and amazing and right in line with God's will? Well, let's talk about that. You know, I've had kids ask me before, who was he praying to? Because Jesus is God, so who is he speaking to? Well, let's dive into that a little bit here. In his incarnation, and the incarnation is what we're celebrating at Christmas, that God came in the flesh, stepped into human history. This is what Advent is all about. That in the incarnation, God the Son chose to willingly set aside the constant use of his divine attributes. Philippians chapter 2 talks about this. And he humbled himself, becoming reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. So in everything, he depends on the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out his work and mission. This is why he prays. When you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus prayed all the time. He was a man of prayer. He prays before his baptism in Luke chapter 3, before he calls his disciples in Luke chapter 6. He prays when he feeds the multitude in John 6. He prays at the transfiguration, the raising of Lazarus in the upper, he prays in the upper room. He prays at Gethsemane. Even from the cross, he prays. He prays all the time. He spoke about prayer, taught about prayer, and modeled prayer for his disciples. He is a man of prayer. So Jesus prepares and Jesus prays. What a beautiful and simple countercultural way to live. I mean, this is my hope and my prayer for us as Brian. That in a disconnected, busy, and chaotic world, we model something different. We have time for people. We prize and protect spending time with our family. We are known and know other people. That we spend time alone, quiet before our Father in heaven. 
that we are a people who pray in dependence on the Holy Spirit's power for whatever he calls us for. That we model something different in a chaotic, busy, and disconnected world. We have something better. We have the model of Christ. Jesus prepares and Jesus prays. I mean, he was, he was in demand like no one else. I mean, look at verse 36. It says, and Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. The subtext being, what are you doing out here? Don't you have more important things to be doing? I mean, you're the Messiah. Aren't you here to, what, overthrow the Romans, gather a a people, kind of reform the nation? What are you doing out here by yourself? And this is a reoccurring theme in all the Gospels, but specifically in Mark. It's like everyone gets it except for the people in the story. I mean, the writer of Mark starts off with, this is the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. God, the Father from heaven, makes this proclamation. This is my son. The demons recognize this and shudder. This is the Son of God. And here the disciples, yet again, they simply don't get it. In fact, the disciples can't get it fully. Not until Pentecost, until the Spirit comes to open their eyes to the glory of who Jesus Christ really is. All of these demands and expectations placed on Jesus, but he is committed to preparing and to pray. What a way to live. To simplify to protect what really matters most. To prepare yourself for what God has for you. To pray with dependence and passion, undistracted. We're coming into a new year. People make resolutions. The odds aren't in your favor that you're gonna, statistically speaking, stick them out. But this is a good opportunity to evaluate the rhythms. Is this the life that you want? Is this the home that you want? Is this the rhythm that you want as a family? Jesus prepares and Jesus prays. Then we see that Jesus preaches. Okay? Look at verse 38. Jesus, what are you doing out here? Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I have come out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. What a curious thing for Jesus to say. It's Advent, right? Imagine somebody throws you a softball and they're like, oh, I hear you go to church, neighbor. What's Christmas all about? Why did Jesus come? And you're like, this is what I trained for. Be ready. There's lots of great answers that you could give. Very biblical, scriptural answers. He came to seek and to save the lost. 
and came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to set us free from death, to deliver us from Satan, to forgive our sins. And these are all good and true answers. But Jesus' statement here, it's interesting. I've got to go to the next town to preach because that's why I have come. Let's talk about that for a moment. For Jesus to say, I have come to preach, that is a central part of his calling. He understood why he was on this earth. He understood his purpose in his ministry. And here he links it with preaching. Why? Well, let me give this to you. God's word has power to bring order and life. God's word has power, has the ability, the the energy, the authority to bring order and life. Think back to the beginning, the opening pages of the Bible. Right, Genesis 1 and 2, you have the account of creation where God is forming and making all things. How does God create? He speaks it. It is his word that accomplishes his ends and his purposes. God spoke, let there be light, and it was so. God is not doing a YouTube tutorial describing what he's doing. It's not the director's cut where he's, he's kind of reminiscing, oh, and then I, I did this. No, his word has power, has the authority, has the energy to bring order and to bring life. So he speaks and it is so. God's word comes to Noah, comes to Abram, comes to Moses, comes to the prophets, to the priests, and to the king. And all times it is coming to his people and it brings order and it brings life. And then you turn to the New Testament. And Jesus enters the scene. The one whom in John chapter 1 is referred to as the Word. The Word has dwelt among us, He has come. The word of God that brings order, that brings life, has come, has stepped into human history. His word brings order in life. And even today, when his word is proclaimed, when the word of God, the living word, is proclaimed, when scripture is proclaimed, God brings order and life. There is power here. Not because of the person up front, but God's spirit uses his word. Now, maybe you're here and you're tracking and trying to put these categories together and you're wondering, so we have the living word, which is Jesus, and then we have the written word. We worship the the living word. Do we worship the, the written word? How does this fit together? Well, here's why we are unapologetically committed to scripture. Because the written word teaches us, testifies, and points us to 
the living word. If you want to know this living word, what are you going to do? Make it up on your own? No, you need a foundation. We have the written word of God, which is our authority. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read about this word of God. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word has an uncanny ability to poke where it needs to poke, to encourage where we need to be encouraged, to rebuke where we need to be rebuked. I mean, how often have you read a passage of the Bible that you've read a hundred times before only to find that on that particular day, something happens in your heart and you stand amazed yet again at the wisdom of God? How often do I go out into the commons and somebody's like, oh man, God really got a hold of me in this area and did something in my heart. And, and when you said this, it you know, brought this to mind. And I'm thinking to myself, what, did I... I didn't think I talked about that today. Uh, maybe I mentioned something in passing, but praise God that he's doing something with his word. I mean, the authority comes from him. His word is living and active. So when you come to a good Bible preaching church, and there are many of them in the region, praise God, you're not coming to hear a talk or a conversation or God forbid it, somebody's opinions. Find a church that is fully based on the written word of God. Why? Because that's the only way you're going to come face to face with the living word. You know, one of the reasons I preach through books of the Bible, if I'm being brutally honest, obviously I have deep theological and philosophical commitments to it, but there's also a pragmatic reason that I do this. The pragmatic reason, the practical reason that I preach through books of the Bible it's because I'm not that creative. And if I didn't have this and I had to, I don't know, like fuse pop psychology and economics and various like philosophical traditions to offer some kind of hallmark general encouragement, I wouldn't last in this job. That'd be exhausting. No, the reason that we preach the written word is because it shows us the living word. You see, right now, we are putting the finishing touches on a new kind of vision and mission framework for us here at Brian, And I'm excited about it. We've been walking with the elders and the pastors through this, and it's very much consistent with who Brian is presently and the history here at Brian. But undergirding all of it is this foundation of a dual commitment. Unwavering, unflinching commitments. And I've called it our bedrock. Here's the first. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you realize how much this will simplify things? Jesus is Lord, so that means I don't have to be. What a weight off my shoulders. Jesus Christ is Lord. That means I live for his approval, not yours. 
Jesus Christ is Lord, that means we live our lives with a goal and an aim to please him rather than pleasing our society. Man, it just simplifies everything. Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, from Philippians 2, every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess. This will be universally recognized. And maybe you're here today and you think, this is why I don't go to church. And you don't buy any of this. And you think I am a naive buffoon. Now, granted, maybe you just don't buy it. One day you will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You cannot escape. You will declare with your mouth, I was wrong. And how I wish I could go back and change myself and change my ways. I was wrong, Jesus. You really are Lord. And until that day comes, what our mission is, is to make sure as many people as possible can hear the good news of Jesus Christ so that they can bow their knee to him and receive him as Lord and recognize him as Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of that, the second commitment in our bedrock is this. His word is our authority. Again, do you know how much that simplified? Our world, regardless of your worldview, okay? Whether you're super progressive, super leftist, or you're a hardcore right-winger, our world is, it's complicated. But when Jesus' word is our authority, man, does that simplify things. You're going to build your life on something. Probably shouldn't be something that you're making up as you go along. So base your life on Scripture. Because Scripture cuts through the confusion and gives us clarity. The Bible is explicitly clear on so much. And where the Bible's not explicitly clear, it gives us principles to live by so we can make wise decisions in in very unique, one-off, complex situa- uh, situations. And what a gift that is. This is our bedrock, that Jesus Christ is Lord and his word is our authority. That simplifies everything. So that's why we preach through books of the Bible because all scripture, it says in 2 Timothy, is God-breathed and is youth- useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. We preach the written word because it reveals to us the living word. Jesus is our authority, our Lord and our master. So we submit joyfully to his word. Now, as I kind of conclude, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of what's coming up. We have these Easter events, or these Easter, yeah. I'm, see, I'm thinking ahead. I'm ready to go. We have Christmas coming up. And we have these events. We have these invites. We have these services. My wife's putting me to shame. She's always got a a card close at hand to hand out. Make use of those cards. Take the opportunity. The worst that somebody can say is, that's lame, no thanks. 
They could say worse things, but the sentiment would be the same. And when those services are approaching, when you're sitting here in a church service and the guy up front is, is preaching and he's explaining the gospel, calling people to respond in faith, and you're like, I already know this stuff. Don't check your phone. Pray. Pray in that moment that the seed that is being planted would not be snatched away by the evil one. Pray in that moment that God would open eyes to see the glory and the beauty of Christ. Pray that people would respond with faith to the gospel. You have no idea who God's going to bring here in the coming weeks and the coming years. So pray. I mean, this, was, this is my hope for us as a church that we prepare. That we're pursuing Christ in the quiet. That we're not slaves to the gifts of technology that God has given us, but we steward them for his purposes. That we are a people who are filling our lives not with temporary distracting realities, but with relationships that matter. that we're preparing not just ourselves, but our children for the future, that we're protecting the time that we have with one another, that we are a people who prepare. My hope is that we are a people who pray consistently and constantly. That we pray for God to work and move, for God to prepare us for what he has for us for God to use us for his purposes, for his glory, and that we are a people who preach the name of Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're like, okay then, Devin, when's my turn to get up on stage? Listen, this, was it, this pulpit's not big enough for the both of us, right? I'll say that. No, but what, what do I mean by that? God may never call you to be up here. Maybe he will. Regardless, you are called, if you know Christ, to preach his name, to proclaim it, to herald it, to be quick, to speak the name of Jesus in whatever relationship you have. Maybe that's in the home. Maybe that's with your neighbors. Maybe that's at work. Maybe that's with a friend. But speak the name of Jesus. May we be a people who prepare ourselves to live well in a busy and distracted world. May we be a people who pray with passion, in conviction that God's going to use our prayers to bring glory to the name of Christ. And may we be a people who are quick to speak the name of Jesus. Why? Because he is Lord. He is Lord and his word is our authority. Praise God for such an unshakable, simple, counter-cultural way to live our lives in service of Christ. Let me pray. Father, there are people here right now who are so busy, they have no sense of what you're doing in their heart. They have no sense of the condition of their own soul. They have no 
depth to their relationships or their walk with you. God, none of that will last. What what will last is you and serving you and giving our lives for you. May we be a people who are retreating from the hecticness, from the busyness as needed to find our strength and resolve in you. May we be a people who pray. And may we be a people known in this region for speaking the name of Jesus. We want to preach his name, whether that be here on stage or in our day today. May we be a people who have prepared, who have prayed, and who have preached. We ask this in the name of the resurrected Lord of all, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.